Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 14 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I'm your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Hey, hey, hey. We'd like to welcome everyone after a, a slight hiatus over the uh, Thanksgiving weekend. We hope everyone enjoyed themselves, stayed away from other people, but also got to see your family. Um, today, in keeping with the Thanksgiving spirit, we're going to talk about gratitude. We thought it'd be a good idea to do so and sort of reflect on the things that we are thankful and grateful for um, I find that we don't do this as a culture near enough. Once a year does not seem to me to be uh, the, the optimal number of times to uh, collectively reflect, but we at least have one. So that's probably better than none. <laughs> For sure. We'll make use of it. And so, uh, so yeah, with that, we'll get this thing started. Um, I know you in particular, Dan, were excited to talk about this one. Did you have anywhere you wanted to start? Well, I guess I can start with uh, an exercise that I used to do um, way back when, over 20 years ago, when I was working at an espresso stand. And when people would come in in the morning, in like 4 o'clock in the morning, super, super early, um, for a while I got in the habit of kind of surprising people and say, quick, what are three things you're thankful for? And... The, the result was always positive, and sometimes it actually made somebody's day. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's so powerful, and especially in, kind of in the form of a question like that, because the, the cool thing about questions is they actually can direct someone's thoughts. Meaning, mm -hmm. uh, if I ask you, Bo, Bo, what does a pink elephant look like? Right. Odds are really high you got a very brief image of a pink elephant in your head. Yeah. Or, you know, if I, if I make some other, uh, you know, pose a question to you, you automatically evaluate it for, you know, do I have enough information to, to be able to speak on this? Do I think it's true? Do I think it's false? Why is he asking me all these things? And just by posing a simple question, you can direct your thoughts. It works for yourself as well. If you ask questions of yourself, that's how you can you guide your own thinking and you know, potentially get out of a, a negative thought cycle or, yeah, or just exactly. you know, kind of improve your mood. So, like I said, I, I did that for quite a while, um, and it was always fun, and I've kind of done it sporadically. And, you know, kind of dawned on me when we were talking about, hey, what are we going to talk about in the podcast this time? I was like, oh, man, let's do gratitude again. Uh, obviously, it's Thanksgiving. It's kind of an obvious one. Uh, but having had experience with doing purposeful uh, gratitude type exercises, it's just super valuable. You know, it, it's almost guaranteed to improve your mood and it's just a generally, uh, mentally healthy exercise to get into. Um, yeah, cause there's plenty of things that are fucked up in the world that we can focus on, but if that's all you do, then your representation of the world, your context as it were, is that just everything is fucked up and that's just not the case. Um, so it's important to consciously uh, look at the things that are going well for you. No, very true. Yeah. Um, this is a slight nerd tangent, but uh, what you had said about all the fucked up things in the world and constantly looking for them, it reminded me of this quote. Do you, have you ever watched um, uh, Avatar The Last Airbender? Have not. Um, so there's Avatar The Last Airbender, and then there's uh, The Legend of Korra, which is like a continuation of it. It's a... Um, Really good cartoon. It's really, really, really good. Very, very deep uh, mythologically and psychologically. But there's a, this character in it, and he has this really awesome quote that uh, that reminded me of. And it's, um, 
If you look for the light, you can often find it. But if you look for dark, it is all you will ever find. Yeah. And yeah. Um, that, that reminds me of that, is that that dark part, right? If the world's fucked up, but that's all you pay attention to. That's all you ever see. Yeah. And there's a subtle difference between looking for light and only seeing light. It's that you may find it. Yeah. You may not. Um, or you, in this case, you can often find it. But I, I think that um, that highlights the, uh, the, the, the necessity of doing things like talking about things you're grateful for because it isn't a given that things are just going to be good. Yeah, of course. And so you kind of have to work at it, but it's a given that if you don't, things will just be bad. Yeah. Like you just look for bad things. You'll always, you won't, you're not going to find good things on accident when looking for bad stuff. It doesn't work that way. And so, um, you know, we're as a species very tilted towards a negative emotion and towards negative things and, it's no wonder we've survived millennia. Sure. I mean, evolutionarily, it makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so but that, yeah. that, that's hard work trying to find the, the good and the goods in life, you know, yeah. and there's because there's a lot of fucked up things in the world. It just takes uh, a little practice. Yeah, it does. Um, so I presume then that uh, you would like me to start with three things that I'm grateful for. Sure. I actually wrote down four, ironically. I didn't know you were going to ask these questions. Um, (laughs) You can have as many as you want, brother. um, I actually didn't know you were going to ask anything like that, but I just, I ask myself questions Mm -hmm. often when I'm writing notes in particular. And so um, I came up with a couple of things. Um, I have a joke one. Do you want me to start with that one first or end with it? Whatever you want, man. Okay. So I'll I'll end with it. Um, The first thing uh, for me, uh, freedom. And that's a very broad concept, but um, I mean that like as a fu- I have a fundamentally I'm a free human in mm-hmm. in a culture in a country where freedom is um, is the norm, whether people believe it is or not. Like we have a very um, very free culture compared to a large number of other cultures, and um, so I, I have the freedom to kind of do most anything I want, and I like that's I'm very grateful for that fact. Um, my life is not beholden at any given moment to an authoritarian leader or a, you know, dictatorial military leader, the sorts of things, you know, I I might be holding to um, absurd levels of corruption, the likes of which the American people have never seen before. (laughs) Well played, sir. (laughs) Um, Which isn't to say that there isn't corruption in our system because there is, but I don't think, you know, people truly understand the actual amount of freedoms that we have. Um, I'm pretty sure like a week or two, week or two ago, there were multiple people who were murdered for protesting in other countries. It was like, I like made the news. I forget who and where, but that that happens though. Like it's not an uncommon occurrence. Um, And yet, you know, we've had millions of people protesting in the middle of a pandemic over actual you know, legitimate injustices. And I don't think any of them have been murdered by the state. So like as one example, but I like that. I'm very grateful for that. And sometimes I think it's healthy to remember that we're a pretty fucking free place. Yeah. Um, to go along with that, uh, one of the things I'm grateful for is, um, my ability to change the world around me. Um, and it goes along with freedom because like, we live in an era and in a culture and in a country where I'm privileged enough to not have to worry about so many things that I can't affect the world around me. Like yeah. I, I, got, I, I can feed myself as an example. Right. 
and I can feed my family. And I don't have to worry consistently about um, unclean drinking water or catching venereal diseases uh, such that they actually kill me. Like chlamydia and gonorrhea in particular, while they're very, very prevalent in our culture, we can actually, we have the health policies to, to get rid of them so yeah. they don't kill as many people as they do, say, in sub-Saharan Africa, where there's no medical treatment for them. And so women in particular just die because they don't have medical treatment for you know, that kind of stuff. And like 2 billion people in the world have feces in their water, which causes a whole shit ton of problems that I don't think anybody in the U.S. has to deal with. Yeah. And I think that includes actually the homeless. Cause most city, major cities that have homeless, they have free running water. Yep. Um, and so not having to worry about a lot of things allows me to do what I can to affect the people around me in a positive way. Um, effort, there was a, this ec economist, I forget his name, I think his name was Bjorn Longborg. Um, he had talked about how like countries were the, like the, the, the per capita like the, the, the amount of money that an individual makes per year, like an at an individual level, um, if it's under a certain threshold, the country can't reasonably try and fix climate issues in their country. It's like $5,000 a year per person or something. Okay. Anything below that, the country doesn't have the resources or the ability to like actively try and reduce carbon emissions, as right. an example, because there's so many other things that they have to attend to, or the people just die and starve to death. <laughs> Dude, we got other shit to worry about. Yeah, and so like... Is so would basically climate change is like a, is a privileged thing, like we're so privileged to worry about it because we have the resources to not have to worry about everything else. Yeah. Um, and so it's, <clears throat> I'm very grateful to be able to kind of do whatever it is I need to, whatever I, it is I feel is necessary to do, um, to better myself and the people around me. You know, it, it's, and you forget about that. I think. Mm -hmm. Um, and then that sort of dovetails into, um, into love most specifically, you know, my friends, my family and, and my girlfriend, uh, most in particular, you know, um, she's my favorite human on the planet. And so it's, uh, um, both as like, you know, a, a, a girlfriend, but just as like a person, like if we weren't dating, she'd be a really good friend of mine. Um, cause I, I love her dearly and she's a great person. And so, um, I think that it's easy to take that sort of thing for granted. Like the, the, the love that you, your family and your partner and your friends and the people around you have for you unconditional or otherwise, you know, you, you get used to it. Like you get used to anything else. And these are good times to remind yourself that like, Hey, like, you know, it's, it isn't just a given, you know, you, you got to earn this, this sort of thing. And, um, and you also, I think, forget how important it is, like how it, like for me, I'm always looking to aim at things and bear the responsibility of trying to achieve whatever that goal is. And, um, you know, in reflecting on this podcast, it, I, I realized that, uh, this is absurdly cliche and I hate it, but like love is very much, um, sort of a way to keep me in line. So you could think of it like Cupid's arrow, for God's sakes. I fucking hate that cliche. But, <laughs> you know, it, it isn't necessarily the arrow, but it's it's something that I want to do a lot of things personally 
and like my, for my personality, I can get lost sometimes because I'm trying to do a lot of things. And so love is something that sort of keeps me on the correct path, as it were, whatever that path may be. I don't know, but um, it keeps me in check because the people around me care about me. And so they're like, hey, maybe you should go this direction, right? It's maybe this is the path for you. Um, and I don't think I think that, that that's true for a lot of people, though they may not think about it that way. Mm-hmm. But you need that sort of correctiveness. You need that correction so that you don't get lost. Yeah. Um, it's good to have people looking out for you. Yeah, exactly. And um, it's it, yeah, it was, it was really nice to just sort of think through and. Um, realize that, you know, love in and of itself is uh, such a multifaceted word Mm -hmm. or emotion or state, right? It isn't just, I'm filled with, you know, absurd happiness. I'm overjoyed with my love for you, you know, hearts everywhere around me. It's, it's a corrective force and one that can be maybe harsh, um, maybe constructive, uh, positive, maybe negative, but it's something that is very multifaceted and is, it, I think is very useful um, in keeping people um, pointed in a direction that's good for themselves and the people around them. Uh, Lex Friedman, the MIT professor, he always says, um, uh, he borrows the line, of course, but it's love is all you need. He's a very, he's actually a very big proponent of love. Um, to fix the world. And I think he's a bit idealistic with it, but um, it, it's kind of cute sometimes when he talks about it. It makes him sound very naive, but I, I think there is a little bit of truth to what he says in that, you know, if we as a society were more grateful to the people who love us, assuming of course that we have people who do, and I would argue that most people do, um, and we were able to reciprocate that love to them and to other people um, in ways that are both, like I said, positive, constructive, negative, what have you. Because sometimes love can be negative. Um, How can love be negative? Love too much. Okay. Um, overpowering love. Sure. Um, Stalkers. Sure. I was thinking more like uh, um, the devouring mother, you know, overprotective parent, that sort of thing. Okay. We talked about help helicopter parenting a few yeah. months ago. That that would be over love. Um, you know, maybe um, you, I'm sure someone could argue, but like an overly protective spouse who doesn't allow their partner to go out, have friends, that sort of thing. Right. That's probably the argument could be made that, that isn't love, but it would be yeah, it's per- probably leaning towards jealousy. Yeah, and but some it, other it stuff, would but yeah. it, it would be portrayed as love, and so I think you know, there's definitely an argument to be had, but still. Um, I, I, I think, though, that attempting to show your love um, and, and show your appreciation towards people who, who do love you back would, would could definitely at least tilt the world in a slightly more positive direction. I don't I, I'm not, I don't buy in yet on uh, Lex Friedman's assumption that uh, love would fix the world just yet. But I, I don't think it's a bad place to start for damn sure. And I think he's in the right direction. Well, I think it's. And Lex is a very uh, aware guy, super intelligent. Um, if there were a magic wand that you could poof, apply love across the board, then I agree. Hmm. Um, and I imagine he, he is just as aware that, you know, obviously that's not going to happen. Yeah. But at the, the root of that sentiment, I think it's true. Yeah. It reminds me of a similar sentiment to... Um, for like peace enthusiasts and people who want peace. Like if there was just peace in the world, 
everything would be fine. Or like if, if, if a baby could run the world, like there wouldn't be any problems, that sort of thing. <laughs> it's, it's similar in that there's like a grain of truth in what they're trying to get the point they're trying to get across. It's that, you know, there would still be chaos if we had, everyone was peaceful. Like there would still be problems. Oh, sure, yeah. And th- that's actually just the story of the Garden of Eden. Like no matter how perfect you make the world, there's still a snake. Right. Right. And so that, that that's really all that that is. But that doesn't mean that it isn't a worthwhile aim, you know. And uh, but yeah, so that, that was that was actually a lot of fun this morning. Kind of just thinking about that and um, recalibrating. Yeah. You know, like that was a big thing is like um, it's a, a good recalibration and a reorientation towards, um, you know, what's what's actually important. I, I think that for myself in particular, I, I spend a lot of time trying to learn and better myself and which is a good thing. And I, I do it to help better the people around me as well. So I can be I want to be a better person so that that affects people around me so that they have better lives. Yeah. I've heard that phrased as, um, I will take care of me for you. Yeah. You take care of you for me. Right. Exactly. And, um, I should at least start there, I think, because I actually don't know how people can affect the world around them when their world's falling apart. I think, I think it's important to start with yourself, but that's also susceptible to, um, to blindness, to, focusing on yourself to the point that you forget to actually attend other people's needs, let's say. And, um, because you're trying so hard. And so this is a good recalibration to be like, am I doing that? Reevaluating is, is what I'm doing personally, you know, am I, do I need to, uh, kind of revisit the things I'm doing and make sure I'm paying proper attention to friends, family, and loved ones. Cause I'm actually notorious for that with my friends and my family in particular, like, I could probably go this whole pandemic without calling my mom or my best friends and be fine. Yeah. Cause I get so busy. I just forget, yeah. you know, and, um, thankfully I live with my girlfriend, so I have to see her every day, <laughs> you know, and I would probably call her. Uh, oh, no, Hey you, I remember you. <laughs> yeah. We were dating in March, <laughs> like when the pandemic started, but like, I'll forget for like two months and be like, I should probably call my grandma, like see how she's doing. Or like my best friends wanted to Skype like three months ago. Maybe I should give them a call and see other, cause I just forget. And it's not a malice. I just, I'm busy. Yeah. I'm trying to make myself busy. And then it's like, well, maybe I, I need to make sure that I'm not dropping the ball on these people who care a great deal about me, but no, I'm weird. And so they just don't say much until it becomes a big problem. I might as well just head it off and, you know, recommit myself to trying to be whatever it means to be a good grandson or a good son or a good parent or a good parent, sorry, a good friend. Um, so that was, that was nice. A little embarrassing. I was like, I need to call my friends. And my, it's like, I need to call my friends more and tell them I love them. You know, like, why do they put up with me? <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so that was, that was a lot of fun. It was, they did that like six this morning. Um, and then my joke one is that I'm grateful that we survived, um, the last four years without entering a civil war or a world war. Fair. With yeah. Trump. And so. I, I mean, maybe that's compared to the other three, that's kind of more of a joke because it's a Trump related thing. But civil war and world wars are no jokes, but we did avoid them. And that was a huge concern for yeah. like the last four and a half years was that yeah, we would sure. Trump would lead us into a war of some kind. I didn't think it would happen, but I'm glad that it didn't. As bad as it was, it could have been worse. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. It's like, you know, and that that was kind of the other thing I, I really thought about is um, I was writing up my notes is that. 
this seems to be one of the underlying but not really talked about themes of gratitude is like take stock of what you have because it can always be worse. Exactly. Sweet, man. What about you? Oh, let's see. And I purposely didn't think a whole lot about this ahead of time so I can kind of riff right here. Um, one thing that that comes up for me immediately is uh, is technology in general. And let me expand on that. Um, as many problems as, you know, social media and all that, that have, have caused and that we're figuring out right now, um, at least for me personally, uh, basically every way I have managed to make a living in the last 20 years, uh, I learned online. Whether it was uh, learning web design, which I later got paid for, learning filmmaking, which I later got paid for, um, the uh, the ability to learn techniques to run my business, whether, I mean, you know, lighting programming and doing special effecty type stuff. Um, I've learned, you know, woodworking, metalworking, leatherworking, uh, some of those items I've gotten paid for as well. Um, you know, I've literally made a living just from the, uh, the information that's been made available via the internet. And that, that just, it blows my mind. And I, I feel incredibly grateful to have, you know, I just so happened to be born at this time on this here patch of dirt mm-hmm. that allowed me access to those things. Because um, I, you know, like you, I love to learn. I'm, I'm a very curious individual. And if you take the the social side of the internet out, not to say that that's necessarily a bad thing in its entirety, um, but just to have the ability to learn almost anything for free or for, you know, very inexpensive, mm-hmm. uh, you know, that's been life changing for me. And I, I, my thirst for knowledge is always quenched. And that's, that's amazing to me. Yep. I can't imagine, you know, 50 or a hundred years ago where I had to trudge down to a library and hope they have a book on the topic that I'm looking for or something like that. Um, uh, just just amazing and that that dovetails into now with the pandemic as well obviously um you know the the 1918 pandemic they didn't have skype <laughs> there were no zoom chats so as as hard as this has been um the fact that i can pull a supercomputer out of my pocket tap the screen a few times and have groceries delivered to my door is incredible uh, particularly now where it is so useful in the middle of a pandemic um, yeah, very true. Things like that, that, you know, we get used to it. So it's easy to take for granted, but man, that's a, that's a big stinking deal. I, uh, was listening to, uh, Gary Kasparov, uh, do an interview. And for those unfamiliar, Gary Kasparov is a Russian chess player. He's one of the best chess players ever, probably actually like top five ever to play. And, um, he just made an offhand comment about how any cell phone today is, probably, you know, in five, 10 times more powerful than the original chess computer, Deep Blue. He, yeah. One of the things he's famous for is, uh, um, he, uh, I think Bobby Fischer also did this, but one of the things he's famous for is he played against Deep Blue on a tel- in a televised event and beat the computer. And our, like, iPhones 
or more, you know, five, 10, 20, hundred times yep. more powerful than, um, that, and this is like a big ass computer in like the early nineties or something, yeah. you know, like technically a supercomputer, I believe. Was and it wasn't quite super. a supercomputer, I believe, oh. I think maybe okay. it was then. I think the one, the chess computers they have now aren't considered supercomputers. I don't know what the difference is. I, but, um, I, I vaguely remember hearing that, but, uh, whatever the case, it was a lot. I, I think it was at the time though. I think you were right, but it's still crazy to, to fathom like there's just an exponential growth in technology yeah straight up like yep. i have more power than in in this very old i have like an iphone 6 i think so it's pretty old i have more power in an iphone 6 than basically every human ever had up to like 1970 yep. you know <laughs> even without the internet i probably still would you know like it, that's just crazy you know and i mean i have an electronic calculator which didn't exist for a long time you know just like <laughs> crazy things like that and so it's um yeah yeah so that's that's something I, I try not to take for granted um because it's uh it's such an incredibly valuable resource um could be a lot worse for number two you know i need to acknowledge that uh my health has been quite good and i got a a pretty good roll of the genetic dice in that sense um i haven't had any major illnesses you know, the, the motorcycle accident that I mentioned, but that's, you know, that's an acute thing that just happened. Um, and even that, I can dovetail in and say, uh, when I got in that motorcycle accident, and just to recap, um, in 1997, I was involved in a motorcycle accident where um, I was standing still on my bike and I got broadsided basically from a car. So between the bumper of the car and my bike, my leg was uh, smashed you know, little, little bone chips and all kinds of stuff on the x-ray. Like it was pretty, pretty significant. Um, and even back then to have the, the level of, uh, medical care that now, you know, most people have no idea that something like that happened. And, and literally for like, about 24 hours or so, they weren't sure if they're going to be able to save my leg, let alone, you know, be able to do all the things that I've been able to do. Uh, you know, just 20 years prior to that, uh, I probably have a prosthetic right now. Mm -hmm. So the the level of healthcare that we have, and then you know, of course, uh, expand that over the next you know twenty plus years to where we are now, um, and probably most relevant, the uh, vaccine development. Yes, uh, this is a very special time to be alive in that sense. I mean, who knows what what things we've forgotten about in our lives that may have killed us. 200 years ago, right? And now it's just no big deal, you know, to go to the hospital, get a broken bone fixed or take a pill and get your chlamydia cleared up or whatever you got going yeah. for you. Um, that's, that's a big deal as well and, and not something that I really want to take for granted. Uh, this is a special time to be alive, so to speak. I, I agree, yeah. It's, um I think that, and it's it's understandable why this would occur, given because we, you know, we live in a time when we're dealing with the things that we deal with. Like it's hard to imagine what things were like for you or I a hundred years ago because we weren't alive then, right? And so we have, you know, we kind of make the pro we deal with the problems that would come up. But I think as bad as things have been throughout history, I think people have a jaded view of how history actually functions. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, this is a slight tangent, and, and so uh, 
I'll bring it back when I'm done, but they didn't have any intention of talking about this, but there's a partially, I think, partially correct, um, this, this idea that like history is just this, um, sea of white colonials murdering and raping different countries and then taking over and ruining the land. And I say white colonials in particular because it's yeah. white Europeans in, in particular have had the most success over time, or at least recorded time. Right. Um, and there are many, many reasons for that. Um, Guns, germs, and steel. Yeah, right, exactly. But yeah. um, That's a book, by the way, uh, and I highly recommend yes. any of our listeners. Jared Diamond out. won the Pulitzer in, I think, 99 or 2000, 2001, something like that. I'm currently reading Collapse, his second one. Okay. Um, but what I think people fail to understand is that for not only for the past, like, 400 or 500 years, but for the last, like, 14,000, 20,000 years, most people— and I mean, literally most people, it wasn't about, you know, women being stuck at home and, and men running off and raping and pillaging and murdering, taking over lands. It was everyone had to get together and till the ground and milk cows and figure out how they were going to survive winter and not die to big animals. Yeah. Like that's what life was like for 20,000 years. Yep. Period. And that was like, that's like up half Shakespeare. Like we have this, I think we have this romanticized view of like what the Victorian era was like, because we hear about, you know, the Elizabethan era, sorry, we hear about Shakespeare and in, in, in the monarchy in Britain and like Britain expansion and all this stuff. And there was definitely a lot of urbanization and um, growth in populated areas. But the vast majority of people were farmers who not only had to give, you know, crops to their overlords, which was a corrupt problem, but they also were just trying to literally survive. And, you know, we don't, that's hard. When, <laughs> it's super hard. Yeah. When like every, like literally you don't get a day off. Yep. Because if you could take a day off, like crops just die. And if you have, you know, too much fog or not enough sun or not enough rain, or you just happen to get a shitty farm that's got, really bad soil you die because you don't have enough to last the winter time like that's just how it works and so everyone had to learn how to do that uh, there's this um vikings were well known for being raiders you know um, they'd get on their ships and go down into britain and i think in, even into spain and uh, france and they'd raid and take over and conquest and they actually considered themselves farmers hmm. because they only did that a few months out of the year because the rest of the year they had to do crops otherwise they would die like they didn't have a choice. They'd for like the summer months, they would go raid. You know, we go to Cabo <laughs> in our age, you know, and um, it's a vacation raid. Or, or to, to Mexico or whatever. You know, they, they went and raided because it was it was easier than farming and they didn't need to do as much of it. Right. They, they could the plunders or whatever, like the stuff that they got to bring back. And, you know, there's obviously ethical concerns there, but <laughs> like they spent most of their time cutting up hay for their for their she their cows and sheep and and whatnot and uh, tilling ground and it's like i don't have to work on a farm yeah 12 to 15 hours a day seven days a week for a for you know i wouldn't live for till i was 80 i would live until i was like 50 which was like the average lifespan yeah. because it's like we you know and that isn't to say that we don't have problems in our in our world we obviously have problems it's just that it's like with that gratitude, sometimes it's like you got to take a step, a beat, 
take a beat and like look back and be like, well, you know, comparatively, like, see how far we've come. Yeah. Yeah. Like we got it pretty fucking good. You know, it's, um, well, the fact that we can sit here and ponder this concept at all, because, uh, neither of us are hungry. We slept well. I might be hungry soon, to be fair. (laughs) (laughs) We have a shelter that we can go back to, and we have the free time to ponder these kinds of things. That's a luxury. Yeah. So, yeah, it's a big deal. And again, like to reiterate, that isn't saying that we don't have problems as a society, as a culture, as a people, but. New problems. I mean, we've created new problems for ourselves, uh, but that's okay. (laughs) And we always will have problems. It's simply like a recalibration to say, look, like, Yes, we have problems, but does that mean that our problems are so bad that it's the end of the world? Yeah. You know, we, we, we talk a lot about um, not wanting, uh, really understanding why people want to tear the system down. And this kind of reminds me of that. It's like things are not so bad that a system should be torn down. Like we have, close. you know, yeah. and, but you lose, per, excuse me, you lose perspective and it feels like it's the worst thing ever. I'll even I'll, I'm, I'm going to stretch this out and I'm going to say I am even grateful for those people. And here's why. Because in order for someone to be so concerned about, frankly, well, about those types of problems and to think it's the end of the world, that means that the rest of life is going pretty well because they have the time to worry about those things. They're first world problems. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not technically true, but I mean, that's probably a good way to think about it. We have the resources to actually worry about those problems. Right. And if those are the worst problems that are in your life, that's actually a pretty good sign. Well, I also think too, um, you know, uh, is it, it... what they're, these issues are worth something. There's, there's, there's value to worrying about problems like this. And that's something to be grateful for because inherent in being grateful about something is to recognize that it has value. Yeah. I don't, I actually don't even, I haven't thought about this too much, but um, I would be willing to at least make the hypothesis or the claim that it is not possible to be grateful for something that has no value. Yeah. Well, I think by definition, it would need value to be yeah. grateful for. That's what yeah. I mean is that I, I don't. And so in, in some regards, it may be odd to be grateful for people who are doom and gloom or nihilistic, let's say, or want, um, who believe that the world is so bad, it should be torn down. But at the same time, like I'm grateful and see value in, even if I don't agree with their opinions, I see value in the things they're trying to point out. Sure. They collectively, however you would want to def, uh, identi- uh, define that, because there are problems. And you need people to point a finger at problems. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, you know, they become the monster under the rug, you know, as mm-hmm. it were, right? Um, tangent over. <laughs> <laughs> cool. What's your third thing? Um, I'm going to say Music. Because music is such a, a unique and special thing. I like music a whole lot. Um, I'm not I'm not a musician per se. I you know do a little bit of uh, playing around on the computer and making beats and stuff. But 
just the fact that human beings have an ability to uh, express and communicate emotions in a way that bypasses language. Yes. Um, If someone from Japan plays a sad song, and even if you don't understand the words, you'll feel that emotion. And I think that's a really special thing um, and a a unique thing and something I enjoy tremendously. Um, And I definitely don't want to take for granted. Uh, Music, music's pretty awesome. You know, it can be very, very powerful in many different ways. It can be transformative. It can be uh, politically active. Um, It's just a really, really powerful way to convey ideas that Mm -hmm. doesn't necessarily need to rely on the nuance of language or potential pitfalls of language and and things like that. Um, Although a, a great wordsmith can add an entirely new dimension with good language and, and good lyrics and things like that, uh, which is uh, just as cool. But our ability as human beings to simply perceive a certain arrangement of sounds and have that translate to an emotional experience uh, is is cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm very grateful for that. I get a lot out of music. So. Yeah, I agree. I um. I find it interesting for myself personally. I, I listen to songs on a repeat. Um, and I recently, a couple of years ago, found out that that's, uh, while it's not a normal thing, um, it's not an uncommon thing for uh, certain types of people. Mm. Um, Tim Ferriss talks about it in his uh, four-hour work week and a few of his other books that he writes um, after interviewing, like, high performers and things. And what he found is that among many other things that they tend to do, um, most will have a song or a group of songs or, um, like a mantra. Most of them meditate, um, a collection of sounds, that sort of thing that they listen to, to gear themselves up for Mm. things. And, uh, and then in fact, one of those is listening to songs on repeat, depending on the situation, they'll have certain songs that they go to, to put them in moods. Um, and I'll often, I've been listening to, uh, uh, I've been doing that for two decades. I was listening to a song on repeat. I think, uh, when I was like 15, I listened to a song by three doors down for like two, for like the whole year, just wow. on repeat until I broke my boom box. <laughs> Cause this is like back in the mid two thousands. And so they didn't have a repeat button on boom boxes. So you had to like click a button to like oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. go to the seat, the DVD or CD, sorry. And like restart the track. Yeah. But I would just listen to it and it would like put me in a mood to like read and be creative and things like that. And um, my parents would get pissed because it'd just be over and over and over and over. <laughs> like I, I'd listen to the songs I wouldn't like. And I do that now. Like I, um, I'll, I'll rotate through different songs, but I, I don't like listening to different songs in a row. It's always one song for like three hours. And then if my mood changes, I'll change the song. Interesting. Yeah. I hadn't actually heard that. That's cool. Yeah. And um, I just thought I was weird for a really long time. Oh, you're weird. I, <laughs> I know that. I just, I thought I was like really weird. And then I read that in that book and I was like, oh, cool. Maybe everyone else is weird too. <laughs> or at least some people are weird, but they're successful. So I, you know, I'm going to do what they're doing and continue to do what I'm doing. But yeah, it's, um, it's the synchronicity of music is, um, 
It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. It, uh, it's almost something tangible. Almost. Yeah. I mean, we've talked a little bit about this before, but, um, I'm trying to recall the specific situations where we've talked about it, but no, it's about like, a harmony and unity with ourselves and our soul. I've talked about this a couple of times about trying to be, have myself and my soul be in harmony mm-hmm. in a way that, um, you know, congruent. And you can kind of tell when you're in disharmony, this usually happens when you lie about something and then you feel bad about it. Um, I think this is probably most specifically manifested if you have made an justified, like an egregious lie and then, or something to that effect. And then a day or two later, you wake up in a cold sweat at three in the morning and you're like dwelling on, on it. That's the disharmony, right? Mm. But the harmony is something akin to like watching a really good sports performance or hearing a song that just like lifts you up. It makes your like skin tingle, you know, that sort of thing. Those are all kind of the same thing. And it's like this, this, um, this harmonious like mesh of whatever it is that we have, we as a species have not been able to, um, isolate in ourselves, you know, like just like the ethereal parts of our being, the, the psyche, the sub, the conscious, the subconscious, all that stuff that isn't tangible, but it's almost touchable, you know, that we can't, you can't see it. Right. Um, it's it's it, it, it i like being able to to find that in music mm-hmm. and in sports too but um i like being able to feel the shift you know in a song you, yeah i can like tell what's going to happen if i've never heard it or even though i've listened to it a hundred thousand times i know it's gonna, like i can still anticipate it yep. because of the way the way the song flows and then you hear a bad song and you can't quite figure out why the song is bad until you listen to it a few times and you're like, well, it's missing something. Yeah. It's the same with like a shitty movie. Yep. You know, when they do things and you're like, that's wrong. <laughs> you know, it, not that the acting was bad. It's that the story's wrong. It's like a good story as well. Like it's what people like Harry Potter so much, you know, it's like J.K. Rowling's a fine, she's an okay writer, you know, or it's, it's written for sixth graders, but She's fought, she, she has found, copied, sort of, you know, um, played with a storyline that's, I think, maybe even actually a part of humans. Like, it might even be like a biological component of us, like that hero story. Sure. Yeah, yeah. To a degree, right? These, these are all very, at least for myself, they're all very integrally inter, inter, intertwined. Like, I, don't, I see them kind of all as the same thing. I don't really see much difference between them. It's more of the artistic outlet that allows for them to come to being. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, well, any gig for both film and music, um, if you're you're creating a piece, it needs to be a, an appropriate balance of both predictability and unpredictability. Mm-hmm. So when the chorus kicks in, you know where it's going, and you can jam along. And then we go back to the verse, and you're hearing some new stuff but it's still relevant. And then, yeah. okay, back to the chorus. I'm, I'm comfortable here. That's, that's part in the same for a story of, Oh, I bet he's going to do that. Yeah. Oh, wow. He didn't. Or, Oh yeah, he sure did. Right. Um, yeah, that's, that's important when, uh, when creating art like that, that, um, someone needs to, uh, go along for the journey, whether it's three and a half minutes for a song or an hour and a half in a movie. Um, yeah, that's an important balance. You got any more? Oh, I got tons more. Jeez. Yeah, keep them coming. I did four, so you at least do one more. I will say 
Well, I am I am grateful for the fact that you agreed to do this because this podcast has been uh, very valuable for me just as a personal exercise. Mm. And I think we've mentioned it before, but just you know, getting together and having a long form specific conversation and really exploring ideas together, uh, getting new ideas from you and kind of evaluating those and, and having new thoughts there or presenting my ideas and looking at them from a different angle, uh, looking at them through your eyes and, and you know, what you think about them. That's all fantastic. Um, so yeah, just, just doing this, just doing the podcast and I had, you know, kind of talked about or thought about at least, uh, doing a podcast for a while, but you got to have the right, right chemistry with someone if you're going to do a co-hosting type thing. Agreed. So I am grateful that you decided to do the podcast with me. Well, thank you. I, uh, I too am grateful. I actually, um, I had, I remember this would probably have been about two years ago now. Um, maybe even a bit longer. I think it was about two years ago. I was having a beer with my girlfriend. We were um, at a local bar up here, and I'd been thinking about starting a podcast. And I, I just randomly told her, I was like, you know, I think it'd be kind of nice to start a podcast. And I didn't know if she would like the idea or not, but um, you know, I'd I've been in, I've been reading a lot and learning a lot about some some pretty esoteric and crazy and like. Um, disjointed things for the last like three or four years. And um, I like abstract concepts. They, they really appeal to me and they don't appeal as much to her. She can, she's very intellectually gifted. So she can understand them to um, when I explain, if I can explain them properly, but you know, some people just aren't, she's not drawn to it as much as I am. And so um, I was like, maybe she, maybe she think it's a bad idea. I'm just going to talk about crazy shit, you know, <laughs> um, to anyone who will listen. Um, but she, I remember her being really, she thought it'd be a really good idea to sort of, uh, you know, to articulate the ideas and then to find other people who also like the ideas and, um, and then I didn't do anything with it for like two years and I'd wanted to do it, but it was, it was daunting. The, I don't know the production backend stuff, like the, um, all the hardware and stuff that's required and that kind of stuff. Just, it just isn't my forte. And so that was a big handicap is I was just lazy. It's like, I don't want to do a lot of this work. And, sure. and so then you were like, Hey, Bo, do you want to talk a lot and I'll record it? And I have all the stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> that sounds like the best thing ever. Like you can just do everything I don't want to do. And I, can just talk until I get hungry and then go home and eat and take a nap, which is basically <laughs> what happens, by the way. So I should be thanking you for doing all the shit I don't want to do <laughs> so that I can talk myself into an appetite. And then <laughs> <laughs> My but, pleasure, man. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I enjoy all this part of it. And uh, it, it's good to have a reason to do the production side of stuff. Right. So both sides of it I enjoy. And the stuff that I don't enjoy, like actual physical writing, uh, you know, descriptions on the website, stuff like that. That's more your forte anyway. Well, yeah, so. and I like taking notes. And I know we, we've talked a bit on the behind the scenes about uh, setting up a blog. And uh, that's something that I, I will end up getting to it whenever I get around to it. But um, I got nothing but square to it. So I need to get around one. Say what? So I got nothing but square to it. So I need to get around to it. Right. <laughs> yeah. And so... Um, it's something that I think definitely is in the future because it'd be, I would like, I make a shit ton of notes for this stuff. And so it'd be pretty simple to just write it up and, and put it on, uh, put it on the site. But, um, again, mostly just lazy. Right. But, um, yeah, I like doing the writing portion. I like doing the research. That's the big part of it is that I, I like 
reading the books and trying to pull straight from the source and flesh my ideas out and then read, read something about an opposite opinion and that stuff. I like the challenge of, like, I just want to figure out kind of what, why I'm here. Like what, what's my way in the world? Yeah. You know, and in, in, in how, what can I do to make, you know, I talk about this all the time, but you know, what, take responsibility and find out what I can do to make the lives of the people around me better. That's it. Like that's, this helps in as much as we can talk about ideas. We can vocalize them, whether they're good or bad. Cause then we talk about divisive stuff on this podcast, you know, it, um, there, um, are not, there's not enough of them, unfortunately, but there are not a lot of people who talk about some of the problems with say the left and critical race theory and some of the the problems that are inherent with the ideology. There are a lot of good things too. And mm-hmm. you hear about those all the time. Um, that's hard to do. You know, it, it's not an easy thing to, to not only talk about it, but to also talk about it in a way that isn't a lot of people who do talk about it, talk about it in such a divisive way. Yep. You know, they're very disparaging and fair enough. There's some things that should be disparaged, but, um, I don't think that derision is the right way to handle these sorts of things. And I'm guilty of it. Like there are times you know, I've li- I listen to all of our podcasts. There's times when I'll, I'll criticize and I'm probably more harsh than I should be. And I, I try and not do that because it isn't my intention to it. It's more of, I'm trying to grapple with these ideas and figure out like, why is this so bad or good or kind of bad or medium? You know, I don't know half the time I have like a, I have a, a gut feeling and then I'm like, well, let's explore this. Why does this make me angry? Yeah. Maybe I'm misinformed. Maybe I'm not, you know, and well, let's do the work. Like, I'm not going to rely on CNN and Fox News, respectively, to to give me the, the polar sides of the coin that'll fill in everything I need to know about whatever issues going on right now. It's like, that's not enough because they're both wrong. Pretty much always, it <laughs> seems like. And so it's like, I'd rather just do the work myself and kind of, you know, and I like having a partner that in you that I can um, I can voice some of these things without fear of ostracization, right? Because that's the biggest issue. I think a lot of people don't talk is because they're just afraid of getting excommunicated from their friends and family yep. and their jobs. And it's like, just because A, I criticize something doesn't mean I'm a bad person. And B, just because I say something that seems divisive doesn't mean I believe it. You know, Joe Rogan's got, um, I'm going to paraphrase, but he he's made multiple comments before about how like half the shit that he says, he doesn't even believe. Mm-hmm. That's what his podcast for him is about. And that's, I didn't actually know this until after we started our podcast and I heard him say it, but that's actually why I started this podcast or wanted to do it is because I want to articulate ideas badly. And then I want to listen to them and have you listen to them and have us talk about them on the podcast or and afterwards and then revise it because maybe I say something dumb. The odds that I say something dumb is 100% (laughs) because I'm a human and humans say really stupid shit. That's just what we do. Basically everything out of a human's mouth is dumb. Like, (laughs) stop. I'm going to clip that out for later. No, that's totally, (laughs) even staying that's dumb. It's like, because we have to articulate things, you know, we we have to be able to think through them and say them badly and then restate them. And that means that most of the stuff that we say 
is not intelligent. And then we have friends and family and social pressures and stuff that sort of reform how we think things we you know you get in trouble and so you think it again you learn and i mean that's basic i just described elementary school junior high and high school right there <laughs> and and hopefully you turn into a good person at the end of it you know and and i'm being slightly hyperbolic of course but i would imagine that if you actually took all of the phrases that anyone that humans had said over time the vast vast majority would just not be good thing they would not be smart or intelligent things because that's hard. You can't expect your thoughts to be formed absolutely perfectly. That's from exactly. The get go. Um, you know, we reserve the right to change our mind. Even if you say something that you do believe at the time. Maybe uh, you change your mind later. Yeah. If you're presented with new evidence, then you, you get to change your mind. Uh, I was listening to John Mackey on Rogan, uh, and he is the CEO of Whole Foods. Okay. Uh, smart fella. And they were talking about that um, concept of changing your mind or whatever. And he said, uh, my, uh, my opinions and thoughts are like a set of clothes. They're not me. And if, I, if they no longer fit, well, these pants don't fit anymore. I got to get some new pants. These, eyes, these ideas don't fit with me as a person anymore. I'm going to change some of these ideas, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. So just because someone doesn't like your shirt – doesn't mean they don't like you as a person. You know, so that's, that's the healthy way to look at it, to, to put these ideas out there, to wrestle with them, yeah. sort them out, uh, and continue. You know, come back, look at them later. Maybe they make more sense now. Maybe they make less sense now. Um, but your ideas are not the entirety of you. And that's, that's an important uh, distinction. Well, I think it's a hard lesson to learn, too. I, I think and it's no wonder, but people have a difficult time grappling with that. And it's work. Yeah, it is work. And this is just coming to me. And so I'm going to try and formulate this and we'll see, we'll see how dumb it sounds. But um, I wonder if in part a lot of the uh, people tend, it seems right now to get angrier when you challenge their ideas than in generations past. Yeah. Um, that seems to be the beat that I'm hearing from people I know who are older than me. Um, my parents age, my grandparents age, that sort of thing. Um, and they, there was a poll, something like 80 some odd percent of millennials would never, would never date someone who didn't have the same political beliefs as them. Whereas I think it's like 50-50 for baby boomers. Yeah. I think it's like extremely common. Most of the baby boomers that I know, ironically, the the, the women are um, liberal and the men are conservative. Mm-hmm. And so I wonder if that um, adherence to those beliefs is getting stronger and more polarized with the rise in or the decline in religion. Hmm. Interesting. Because people get angry about religion. Like if you're a certain religion, you don't like other religions. Like that's how pretty much all wars in in, have in part started due to religious differences. Right. Is an example. Um, 
so that's a pretty big thing. So you have Christians and Jews who aren't don't get along, and no one seems to really get along with, especially radical Islam, right? Um, and so on down the line, and paganism, and but as that, but people need something like a religion in order to find meaning. I actually do think that that's that, that that's something that people do need, something to that effect, right? Some kind of value or value structure that you can look to and say, I'm going to follow that. Right. It doesn't have to be like a person, like I'm not going to follow white Jesus, uh, you know, himself, <laughs> um, or black or female Jesus, uh, wh- whatever. But because um, we're in America, it's white Jesus, apparently, even though that's... <laughs> Highly unlikely. Pretty much impossible. Yeah, <laughs> historically speaking, but whatever, you know, whatever. Um, you know, we need something. And so as religion declines, people's beliefs in religion decline. It's been pretty precipitous from, again, go back to millennials, but even Gen Zers, your generation, or Gen Zers, sorry, uh, the Gen Gen X, um, mid early 80s, uh, late 70s babies, um, they're even seen the decline as well. And so I wonder if in an attempt to find meaning and things to hold on to, it's ideas. Hmm. Right. Interesting. Um, because z- I could, I could, I could, uh, I could see that. I think part for you know, my, my hypothesis um, would be at least a significant part of that shift is in line with how communication has changed. Um, you know, a la the social dilemma. The fact that much of a, not only a person, but a developing person's communication, so kids, rather than interacting face-to-face, more of that time is spent online. Mm -hmm. And the culture of online communication is so different that that starts to affect them, you know, their entire personality and their response to new ideas or ideas that they don't think they agree with. Um, I think at least in part, the uh, social media is playing a big part in that. If you've ever seen somebody in real life talk like they're writing a text or something, it's the weirdest thing, but it's happening. You know, people get used to communicating um, via instant messenger or uh, tweets or whatever, and then they get into the real world with actual human beings and they're super awkward and they're not sure how to say stuff. Yeah. And I think that's really a sign of what's missing by not having face-to-face communications. I mean, yeah. we, we did not evolve to use Twitter. We evolved to be in the presence of another human being and to notice not only what they're saying, but how they're saying it and their body language and, and all of everything else. Uh, that's really important. And I think our, our brains have evolved in such a way to take all that information in and rely on it to paint as accurate a picture as one can. Not to say it would be at all accurate, but in your attempt to um, uh, uh, model the world around you so that you can interact with it, um, to have those different cues is, is part of the recipe for sense-making for human beings. Um, and I think now we're, we're starting to see that um, get disrupted in a way that is not beneficial. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. I, I keep coming back to morals, like the moral values and structures 
that are inherent in like real world interaction. I think of, I, I want to say real world play because I, I think that um, like playing in and of itself is um, has emergent morality within it. We can get into that later, but um, you you miss some of the things that are required in order to like you, for you and I to like socially interact in person. There's certain etiquettes that we need to follow, mm-hmm. and we have to both come to a mutual agreement. And from that mutual agreement, whatever that is, we create a moral structure based on our interactions, right? Um, so if we have that, and then part of that is I don't come over and poke you in the eye, and then I do it. Like, that's fucked up. And I I, I violate that moral structure. Like, very I'm grateful ob- that you don't do that. Right. Though. Very obviously, right? Something like that. Yeah. And But those are different online there because the physical barriers not 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 there yep and And a lot of cases the anonymity right exactly and so there's there's a certain um i don't think we have a society i'm sure of this in fact that we have a society is have figured out what that does to the moral values right um The strongest held beliefs are beliefs that people have, or moral beliefs. Those are the strongest held beliefs. If you attack my morality as a person, the things that make me a good person, I'm going to react way more strongly than if you tell me that an idea that I have is stupid, that I don't think makes me a, is necessarily integral to me being a good person. Yeah. And that's why I think a lot of religious wars have started is because what do people have? They have religion, which is a moral structure. Like that's the whole part in part. That's the premise of a religion is we're going to structure everything based on, you know, one or multiple deities. um, And we're going to follow a set of values and every religion has different values. But you're part of this religion. These are your values. You need to uphold these values. Otherwise, you don't get into heaven or whatever period. It's pretty easy to follow, but I have them. And so you attack my religion and you attack my values. You attack me because they're my moral values. Mm -hmm. If I do these things, I'm a good person. Right. You attack them. You tell me that they're bad. That makes me a bad person. So like, you know, um, but it's without religion and then having online social media sort of reinventing how we interact that'll reinvent what morality is and how it functions. And I think it's too early for people to know what that means because social online culture is young relatively. I mean, Oh crap. We just started. Yeah. Especially in compared to religion as an example. I mean, we literally have religious wars that go back two, three, four thousand, five thousand, six, seven thousand years. Hell the Enuma Elish which is like the old one of the oldest recorded um, pieces of writing. Period. It's a uh, Mesopotamian. Mm-hmm. Um, is five or six thousand years old, and it in part details like a, what is essentially like a, a, a religious war. It's a war of ideas between Babylonian because Mesopotamians and Babylonian were the same or similar or near each other. I can't remember exactly the details, but it basically details like how they came to be under a collective and they had a war and it's like a mythological story, um, but it's about competing ideas. 
Mm. You know, so you have one god here and one god here, and one's the goddess of the sky, and one is the god of the earth and water. And, you know, Marduk is the the god who can see things. He's got eyes around his head, and he's got a net that can capture the wind, and, you know, he's got wings that can fly. And so he represents all the things that those things represent, and then they have a war, and it's really just tribes fighting. Right. right? And so um, that's what happens is my idea is better than yours. We fight over it. Um, but with the anonymity and online culture, it's like, and the power that, like, it's part of the reason the cancel culture scares me so badly. Is it the power that comes from that sort of thing to... Yeah, the results in real life. To are, push out ideas, I mean. Yeah. Um, there was this uh, professor a few months back. Um, I think he he was in the I think it was North Carolina University of North Carolina school system. It wasn't Chapel Hill like the Tar Heels, you know, Michael Jordan that sort of thing. It was, but it was like one of their sister schools in North Carolina. He was like a political science teacher, or a law teacher, or something. He said something divisive. Um, if I remember correctly, it was moderately racist. I think he referred to the governor of California. He called him Masta. Um, due to like lockdowns and stuff like it, it, it was questionable at best. And that's, that's like a, it's a lot of, like a lot best. Like it was, it was pretty bad, but I mean, he should be allowed to say whatever he wants to say, like, and expect the backlash. Cause it, it was he, very clearly, he was trying to not only make a joke, but be divisive. Like you could tell. Um, and uh, he didn't apologize, which personally I think is fair. I'd, don't apologize. If you're not going to apologize, don't apologize. Um, if you're going to say something stupid, stand up for yourself. <laughs> Even if it's bad, like but stand up for yourself. Like you believe it. Yeah. yeah. You know, defend your joke. Even if it's horrible, you know? Um, and uh, he decided to then um, step down or early retire or something. And then like a week later, he killed himself. Oh, geez. Yep. Wow. And uh, this is, this has actually happened, I think three other times in the last year. Oh. And there's a lot of other stuff that's, I mean, you could probably definitely argue that's more important that's been going on, but there's been a couple of people and they're all white men to be, to be fair, but, um, or to be, to be, to be frank, who say arguably stupid stuff online, definitely kind of, I think kind of stupid stuff I wouldn't personally say, but they're entitled to say dumb, stupid jokes. And then the pressure, online pressure is so great that they, They've taken their own lives. These are grown people in tenure positions where they get pressured to step down because they're tenured, so they can't get fired. Um, and they're technically not violating any laws. It's just bad jokes. And But the pressure gets so intense. The death threats, um, you know, pickets on their lawn. Um, They've been finding out that people have doxxed them on, you know, uh, uh, dark web channels. Um, I think one of them was getting uh, disturbingly threatening phone calls and like letters in the mail with like pictures of their daughters and stuff like, mm. like, you know, scary, legitimate, scary shit yeah. and pushes them to commit suicide. And it's like, that's dangerous. And that isn't to excuse what they said. Yeah. You know, because like I said, people say dumb things and a lot of it I don't like. But silencing 
things that you don't like in an era where there's basically unfettered, unlimited online power to control morality, as it were, people. Yeah. It can create something that is like unknown but alarmingly strong. And uh, in 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 the other direction as well. I mean, this this could you know. Online mobs could easily turn into a totalitarian, xenophobic, you know, style regime where there's it's just also bad, very yeah. you know, fascist or Nazi style, you know. Um, on the other end of that, uh, you know, uh, political spe- uh, authoritarian re- spectrum, but that's scary because I don't. Uh, it's scary for me because I don't know what how that's going to develop. Yeah. Well, oh, so here's the flip side of that, since we're doing gratitude. Um, as concerning as that is, and it certainly is, um, but the the Internet has allowed a degree of um, charitable acts and fundraising and, and things like that that were never before possible. Uh, countless yes. stories of someone who, you know, needs a surgery of some sort, the insurance isn't going to cover it. They don't have the means, et cetera. Uh, yeah. Nobody in the family can help them out. So they put together a, you know, a GoFundMe or something. And people just out of the kindness of their hearts, total strangers, chip in a little bit of money and enough people do that, that somebody actually get a surgery. Uh, just as an example, um, that was never before possible. No, very true. I so mean, there, there are definitely good things. Our that, own Our own gym owner... Um, George Ahern, uh, he uh, put together East West Food Rescue, mm. and um, it's many many things. It's a it's a uh, nonprofit, but first he rescued something like ten million pounds of like produce on the east side of the state of Washington because farmers, if they don't have anywhere to ship it, they just goes to waste. Okay. And so he organized a bunch of people to drive over to the east side of the state, pick it all up and bring it over here and send it to food banks. Nice. And they, they moved like millions of pounds of food. And was that like a crowdfunded type? No, idea? he just, I don't think he got, I, don't, I think he did all volunteer. I think people, did, like okay. he got car dealerships to donate trucks and stuff. And I think he just did it. He was on Rachel Ray oh. like a week or two ago. But Jeez, um, with a lot of this though, uh, um, he did do a donation thing um, to help provide turkeys and other food for families for Thanksgiving last week. Hmm. Um, I forget how many families he was they were able to feed, but uh, all online, all through Facebook. Sweet. Yeah, donated a good amount. Of, got, I think he got a good number, a couple thousand dollars in donations, and just to help the local population um, who had subsistence issues, you know, who needed need didn't have the money to get, you know, some Thanksgiving stuff. And it's like, so I think you're right. There's times I see stuff like that and it, it gives me faith in humanity, you know, I hear all the dark shit and I'm like, wow, our, our capacity as a, as a, as a, as a species for malevolence is just unparalleled. Like there's no, there's no bottom to the amount of evil <laughs> that we yeah. can engender. Um, but you know, I see things like this and there are also like, towering heights. Yeah. And it's like, a, Jordan Peterson says that it, he, he does truly believe that in the final analysis that, um, that essentially that good can overcome evil. 
he says it way more eloquently than that, but he he's, he'll ramble a little bit a couple of times about it. But um, and I actually think he's right. I think that for the the destructively the destructive and dark and like grim lows that this world throws at people. There is, you know, going back to that quote from uh, um, Avatar, there, you know, there's, there's always some light somewhere. And um, so, I, so I, I like your point there about the internet providing that for people, even though there's a lot of really unknown and bad things that can occur. Like, I mean, let's not forget too that like the, all of the founders and the people who created um, these social media apps, like I think literally all of them have been on record over decades now stating that their whole purpose was to unite people for, for good. Like, yep. and I actually believe all of them. Um, I, I believe, cause there's only like four of them, right? There's not a lot of them. And they're, um, I, I do believe, you know, the Facebook and, uh, um, uh, Twitter, well, see, there's a few others I'm forgetting offhand, but um, like all the, those CEOs, like I think I think that their whole purpose was to connect people, yep. not to destroy. Yeah. The and, like button had, had a very oh pure god, that's intent. right. Yep. The dude who created the like button, he just want people to to get along and like, yep. you know, and then all of a sudden like girls were committing suicide in elementary or junior high because people weren't liking their crap, like just crazy stuff and. It's a tool. It's like any tool. I mean, you could use a hammer to, to build a house or you can hit somebody in the head with it. It's all in how you use it. And now we have, as a society, uh, this new tool that we're still trying to figure out. And the tool itself is continuing to uh, refine and, I'll say in air quotes, get better. At least, you know, get more efficient and have more reach. Uh, but we're still not fully aware of what the tool is and does other than, you know, what we've done so far. So, yeah. yeah. The problem I see though, unfortunately, is that, um, that progress is slow. Well, that's because our, our personal time reference is that of one single lifetime. Yes. It's, it's all based on your context, mm-hmm. which of course, I mean, a person that's, uh, <laughs> your life is all you got. So that's going to be your context. Sure. Um, but if you look at, you know, any, any uh, society changing technology, it, it takes some time to fully settle in. Well, yeah, that, and most, that's normal. most technological advances throughout human history were orders of magnitude longer it took for them to change than yeah. we've seen. Like from, from like the Bronze Age to like the, the Iron Age was like 4,000 years or something, right? It's like a crazy long time. Yep. So we haven't even had the internet that, you know, like it's been like 60 years. So actually it not been that long with the internet. We've had computers for like 60, 70 years. And so yeah. it's like, um, but yeah, and that is though, I think we're sort of victims of our own success in that regard where mm-hmm. we've had so much success so quickly that people expect things so much quicker than normal. And like, that's one of the main criticisms of liberalism is that it's incremental in growth. Like there are a lot of problems and liberalism incrementally solves them slowly, but surely. Mm-hmm. Right. And so you hear, and there are other criticisms, but that seems to be one that, that seems to me to be a very vocal one. When people talk about wanting to tear the system down, it's not moving fast enough. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the current incarnation of, of liberalism, um, it, it's just lost its way in my opinion, but yeah, to, 
to expect everything and demand that everything change right now all at the same time. Um, that's just a, that's an immature perspective in my opinion. It's not how life works. Mm-hmm. So, so get, your, get your passion. That's good. But it, this is real life. We're talking about things take time. They do. And, you know, to counter, it's easy for you and I to say we live in a, a cushy, nice city and we're straight white men. But at the same time, just because things change doesn't mean that it's good. Right. You know, it, the grass is always greener, as they say, right? It's like it, it doesn't, that doesn't mean just because something looks like it needs to be fixed and if we change it, it's going to just be good. I don't like, I think history has bore out the fact that it's kind of a hit and miss. Like entire civilizations have collapsed as a result of actually changing sure. and then not changing to be fair, but, yeah. but actually changing. And so, you know, it's, I think the verdict's still out on that one. Like you, you gotta be careful. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Change by itself is not inherently good or bad. It's just change. Well, you were talking about a, a tool earlier Yeah. with the internet. I think change is a tool in that regard. It's like yeah. you, you can use it that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to have the intended consequences that you want it to. Yeah. But that's life. Man. That's yeah. just how it goes. <laughs> right. Exactly. And, um, so I'm pondering a question after talking about the tools and goods and evils and the state of our world and all that. Um, is one day of thanks enough? Enough for what? What's the outcome you're looking for? <clears throat> Not what we have. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm more I'm thinking like is, you know, we've had Thanksgiving for, I think, uh, earliest records go back to like 1619. So we're, we're going, we're literally over 400 years at this point. Um, is it merely a platitude now? Like, are we just doing this because it's what we've done, regardless of the controversy of having a day of Thanksgiving and what it celebrates and and whatnot? And, um, you know, is it like a moral virtue signal to show that we're good people or is it real? And should we have more days culturally that are dedicated to sitting back and taking stock of our lives and saying, hey, let's recalibrate? Um, I think the answer to that question is all of the above it, because it's a personal question. Yeah. So different people are going to have different takes on that. Uh, I can say, I mean, I, w- I would recommend <clears throat> you make it a part of your life on a very regular basis. Um, years ago when, uh, when I was doing stuff like asking people three things they're thankful for and whatnot, I, for a while was really into how, having a you know daily planner and checking off my lists and, and doing all that kind of thing. And every morning I ask myself that same question, what are three mm-hmm. things you're thankful for? Um, and it's super valuable. The trick is, particularly in the morning, you know, if, if you got a busy day ahead of you or whatever, it can be kind of easy just to blow through it. Like, uh, friends, family, food, okay, and then move on. But uh, if you can get yourself to really ponder your answers to those questions and not just spit them out because it's your habit now. Um, it definitely helps set your context for the day. So I would recommend 
you know, and maybe even just for a week or say 30 days. Um, every day you wake up, three things you're thankful for. And if you want bonus points, make sure that they are something different than you said the day before. Mm-hmm. So you don't just get in the habit of saying all the same stuff. Um, and it doesn't have to be big stuff. It can be small stuff. And sometimes that's actually more impactful because it's learning to appreciate the small things and it gets you to look at life a little bit differently. Like I could say right now, you know, coming back from restroom break, I am grateful for indoor plumbing. And I really mean that. That's flipping awesome. <laughs> uh, because that has not always been the case. And not only is it, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, inconvenient to find yourself in the woods, uh, especially if you don't have any toilet paper, but, the, you know, the impact that indoor plumbing has had on civilization. Well, I'll go back to what I said earlier at the top of the podcast. Something like 2 billion people in the world um, don't have access to clean water. They have access to water that's contaminated with feces. Yeah. So indoor plumbing is a winner in my book. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, I think the ability to, to find the things in your life like that that normally you take for granted. And you can't just be trying to bliss out and be thankful for everything all day long. Sure. You won't get anything done. Um, but to take those moments to yourself and, and look at some of the smaller things and go, man, I'm really fortunate that I have access to this thing or, or what have you. Um, do, yeah. you do you think that... calibrating, recalibrating and, um, taking a step back and thinking about things that you're grateful for in any way cheapens or trivializes for people, the issues that we're facing today? Uh, no, good question. I don't think it does. I think, uh, contrary to that, it puts you in a um, a more able position to do something about the things that aren't right. Meaning if you can set a context for yourself, like, okay, these are some things that we need to work on. However, I do have some things going for me. Typically that's going to put you in a more effective mindset to do something about the things that, that need to be addressed. Whereas it is um, a reasonable possibility that if all you do is focus on the negative, then you're not going to feel that you, that you have the power to do anything about it anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, so having, having a balanced view on both the good and the bad is empowering in that sense. It sounds, too, that almost what you're suggesting is um, it reminds me of uh, – Approaching something is uh, maybe dispassionately or as rationally as you can versus approaching something with emotion only. That might depend on the person. I resonate with that personally. Yeah. Uh, however, there are times when if, uh, if the intellectual demands are not great for whatever you're trying to do, um, but the energy demands are high, or the urgency is of great importance, then emotions can potentially work in your favor. Sure. So it's kind of a case by case. Um, there, there's definitely a time and a place for an emotional response to something. Uh, but I would recommend at least analyzing it on a more intellectual level first, if you can. 
Yeah. Now, you know, that's hard. We're human beings and sometimes emotions get the best of you and, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. My, my fear would be to take, for example, some of the things we've been dealing with here in the U.S., um, the message that, yes, there have been, say, unarmed black men killed by the cops is bad, mm-hmm. but things could be worse. Is it doesn't sound to me like the right. best overall message, just on the surface, of course, um, and which is why I asked the question because um, phrased as such, that obviously is a, that trivializes a problem, right. which I don't want to do in any way. Um, but I do agree. I think that recognizing that things are problems, but understanding that we have the ability because things have been worse and we're in a good situation, comparatively a better situation to step back and actively do things to solve the problems. It allows us to approach this and say, Hey, this is, this is fucked up. We need to fix this, but you know, we can. Well, you know, I think actually that, that speaks to the, that current situation, meaning um, if you don't think you can do anything about it, it's really easy to give up on whatever it is you think versus um, things are bad now, but they were worse. We started with fucking slavery. So it should be uh, a sign of hope to see how far we actually have come. (coughs) And we can go a bit farther to um, equal out the opportunity as best we can. That's a very... Uh, not only noble, but an achievable goal if you look back at how far we've come versus just saying, oh, this is all so entirely fucked up. we got to burn the whole thing down. That doesn't help anybody, even though that seems to be the messaging coming from a lot of people. Yeah. Slight tangent, but those sorts of things only ever affect the poor. Like they disproportionately affect the poor. And the destitute, that's, that's what I don't understand about those, those sorts of um, revolutions. Is it, it's the poor that's affected, the people that the revolutions try and help. Right, yes. Like you, you could look at basically any revolution that's occurred in the last 200 years. And with, with you know, a couple of exceptions of people who rose up, the vast majority of the poor everywhere this has occurred we're still poor and still starving and still destitute and murdered and enslaved it didn't change and there's like there's myriad of reasons for that corruption um bad policy capabilities um lack of resources stupidity greed i mean you know Whatever, but yeah. Um, so I, I was I, I do find that one interesting because I've yet to see when that works. So it's like people need to read their history. <laughs> people don't like to read. It's true. Um, <clears throat> what else you got? I actually think that we should, as a culture, spend more time. not necessarily individually, but maybe in groups being thankful. Um, 
as I say this out loud, what comes into my mind is like Sunday school and church, because that was always my experience in Sunday school and churches that we um, talked a lot about the things that we should, we either were or should be grateful for. A lot of my Sunday school was adults telling me what I should be grateful for. Um, <laughs> That's always fun when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, but, and I don't want it to sound like that because I, I don't like organized religion um, all that much. Um, mo- in part, mostly it's because of the, the corruption aspect of it. it sure. It's very easily corrupted. Similar to the internet. Yeah. It's a tool and there is value there. But I think that there, yeah, I think that there's value within it. And um, I think that I've never done the three grateful things in the morning thing you're talking about. My assumption, though, is that the reason that this is, I've heard of it multiple times. And I th- my assumption is that the reason for people suggest that is the mindset it puts you in. Mm-hmm. If, if nothing else, it's just the mindset. It's like yeah. this will put you in the mindset of, it's the same thing with having a schedule. If you stick to a schedule, then you get used to it and you have the freedom to do things. You know, Jocko Willink's uh, yeah. discipline equals freedom, right? It's all the same kind of concept. It's if I, you put yourself in the mindset of whatever gratitude engenders within you, which is generally a positive emotion or emotions, depending on how you think about it, then you'll start to receive positive emotions back from the universe, from people, from the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I would want is... There's a lot of fucking negativity and it's understandable. There's a lot of bad shit that goes on. Um, but as a species, we've, we've been through a lot of things and we've been through a lot of way worse things. Just period. We've, oh, yeah. we've just been through worse things. I'm sorry. Like you said, read your history. Yep. We've just been through worse shit. Yeah. The vast majority, some humans haven't. We have some humans alive today who've been through worse things than basically anyone who've ever lived. Those people can get a pass, sure. <laughs> but 999 million people in America have not been through the worst shit. Like they, basically everyone. Like, yeah. and so coming together and trying to put a little bit more positive energies into the world. I think. Um, I think would be a good thing. You know, I'd. Um, one of the ideas I wrote in my notes is uh, um, one of the loudest complaints by millennials is the student debt that they have. It's this is a huge thing. Um, I had seen something that um, I think it was just like a hot take, but someone had suggested that like it's possible that progressives might find a way to impeach Joe Biden when he gets into office if he doesn't cancel student debt, which like I said, I think it's a hot take. Oh, I think we're getting the best. Hey folks, apologies for the interruption. We ran out of battery. 
Normally when we do the podcast, we do it in a mobile format due to the pandemic and such. So we uh, set up and then tear it all down at the gym so that we have some space and air volume to ourselves. However, it does require a battery pack to have the podcast run for any more than about an hour. And as it turns out, I left the battery pack at a different job. So the podcast got cut off. Again, I do apologize. However, I will say that I am grateful that we got as much as we did, and I hope you found some value in this podcast. I will, of course, do my best to make sure that this does not happen again. But until we see each other again, I will leave you with this. What are three things you are thankful for? Have a good morning, afternoon, or evening. Mm-hmm.